Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.58 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the, what? It's the 24th of August, 2023. This is episode 780 of Bitcoin. And, well, <clears throat> we've got a, a fair amount of legal stuff to con, uh, to go over today. Uh, and, you know, we're all, there's a really good explanation of Grayscale and what's going on with, with that whole mess, Right. Uh, we got some tornado cash issues going on. We'll get into that. Uh, I got a couple of songs from Wave Lake. Uh, I really, really wish that I could get that, that boost thing going where I could transfer the boost over to the artist. But like I said in yesterday's, uh, show about Black Soldier Fly, that's just not going to happen right yet. However, I did get a message back from Adam Curry, uh, cause I was asking him directly about, uh, how to get this done. And in, in fact, hold on for a second. Cause it's, it's real. There's something really important about this, uh, as to who made it. Cause it's not the, the whole split kit thing has nothing to do with get Albi. It was produced or it was rather, it was, a split kit was made by a guy named Stephen B. Uh, Adam Curry corrected me over here on, I'm actually looking at noagendasocial.com. It's my only Macedon instance that I actually use. Um, what he says is, because I, I, I essentially asked him, can the custom field in the value block editor in podcastwallet.com be used to intake a value time split block generated from Get Albies the Split Kit? If not, do you know any way I can utilize the value time split block since SoundCloud doesn't let me modify my RSS feed? Thank you. And he just wrote, writes back and he says, Split Kit is by Stephen B., not Albie. You only need to add your Albie address through Podcaster Wallet to be able to be included in VTS. VTS is done on the podcaster side. I That really didn't clarify for me exactly what it is that I need to do so that this is basically a set it and forget it kind of deal. So I'm going to have to get back with Adam. But the nut, the cool thing about Adam is, is that he's really responsive to questions about podcasting 2.0 and these, uh, this, this whole notion of value for value. So I'll get back with him and ask him, you know, how do I make this work? That's what I want to know is because I've got my, you know, get Albi address linked with a po- uh, podcast or, well, I've got my get Albi address linked with the split kit and that's how, how I'm able to, to function over there. But I don't see any place in podcasterwallet.com that allows me to actually associate my get Albi address with that. There's no field that I can see. I don't know if it's because for some reason or another, my uh, Brave browser is blocking 
that functionality. I don't know. So I'm going to have to get back with Adam and, and when he, uh, I assume he will help me out on the, on the flip side of that. And when I find out something, I will be sure to tell all of you guys. Now it's time for the news. Sam Bankman Fried's lawyers have been granted unlimited prison visits decrypt Matthias or no, sorry, Mattis Malcher, I guess is how you pronounce it, is writing it. A federal judge has allowed Sam Bankman Fried's lawyers to take unlimited advantage of the legal visitation hours at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, New York, per a court filing on Wednesday. The approval comes after the Department of Justice requested certain modifications to Bankman Fried's accommodations on August the 18th that would allow him to effectively execute, quote, the entirety of discovery in a timely manner before trial, end quote. Oh boy. In addition to the visitation rights, Bankman Fried will also have frequent computer access, enabling him to review discovery materials that could be used for his defense. His defense team argued that they needed to adequately prepare for the first of the two trials scheduled, which is slated to begin on October the 3rd, and is expected to span several weeks. Per the August 18th order, he will now be authorized to request, quote, selected materials be loaded onto hard drives for his viewing as well. Bankman Fried was incarcerated August the 11th following allegations of witness tampering, and since then, he's been detained at, in the Metropolitan Detention Center, notably for notable for its especially harsh conditions. I is that also known as Rikers Island? Hold I, I hold on. I gotta find this out because if this if it really is Rikers Island, uh then wow. <laughs> so let me let me see. I'm just gonna do a quick search here and find out. Uh oh hold on. The let's see, Brooklyn. I don't know. I can't tell if it's Rikers Island or not, honestly. Uh, oh, well. It, I mean, it, 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 whatever. It's especially harsh conditions. Can you imagine the vegan Sam Bankman fried who was basically used to penthouse and very you know expensive catered meals now chilling out in Brooklyn in a jail cell? I don't know how he's going to survive it. Anyway, initially... He had sought permission for daily meetings with his legal team at their Manhattan office, a request that was promptly denied by the court. The case against Bankman Fried is rooted in allegations that the former FTX CEO misappropriated user funds for various purposes, including but not limited to investments, personal expenses, and political campaign donations. He is facing 13 criminal counts, which will be addressed in two separate trials scheduled for October 2023, and then again in March of 2024, Bankman Fried has pleaded not guilty to all counts. So he's they're going to let him have computer access. That's going to be interesting because one of the things that he is very good at is working his way around computers with networked access. So we'll have to see if he starts doing some shenanigans again right there from prison because that honestly, I kind of think that that's what the maneuvering is. I, I, I just can't see Sam Bankman fried that what is essentially this little, this little kid 
actually going through a quarter of a million Slack messages. Can, um, does that even make sense? I mean, at what part is he actually going to be able to play in his own discovery? I That's, it just, I don't know, man. There's something about this that is, everything is, everything stinks. It's like living next to a sewer. It, I, I wrote that in Noster yesterday. Everything stinks, whether it's Bankman fried, whether it's grayscale, it doesn't matter. Everything stinks. And I swear to God, it's like, it's just like living right next door to a sewer, sort of like living right next door to grayscale. <laughs> so we come, we come to the, probably the longest article that I've got for today out of Bitcoin magazine written by Craig Deutsch, shareholder campaign fights to reclaim customer Bitcoin and grayscale lawsuit. A group of shareholders of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust have banded together in the first-of-its-kind activist campaign organized through Twitter. I'm not going to say the other name. It's Twitter. Their goal is to bring legal action against Grayscale in an attempt to force them to allow redemptions for customer cryptocurrency held within the trust that it operates and to repay exorbitant management fees. Though initially a grassroots campaign, one of the largest GBTC and Grayscale Ethereum Trust shareholders, Alameda Research, has filed a lawsuit against Grayscale with numerous funds joining as plaintiffs, Fur Tree Partners, Saba Capital, Owl Creek Management, UTXO Management, and Aristides Capital. The complaint was filed in Delaware's Chancery Court with the assertion that Grayscale has breached its contractual and fiduciary duties to Alameda and other trust investors. The specific case for compliant accuse or for the specific, the specific cause for complaint accuses Grayscale of charging excessive fees in addition to its refusal to allow for the redemption of Bitcoin and Ether. According to the court documents, Grayscale has charged over $1.3 billion in fees. I can say, I have to say that again. Grayscale has charged, according to the court, over $1.3 billion with a B in fees in the last two years alone. The plaintiffs are seeking to claw back those funds as well as renegotiate the fee structure of both GBTC and ETHE to competitive rates. The participants in the Grayscale lawsuit created a website in order to gather additional shareholders to join the fight due to the trust documents which state that shareholders only have the right to bring a case like this one against the trust if unaffiliated parties collectively holding at least 10% of outstanding shares joined together as co-plaintiffs. The Grayscale litigation website has additional details for those wishing to sign up to participate in the legal battle or for those wanting to find out more about the campaign. The initial deadline for joining the litigation is September the 1st. So that's coming up pretty quick. If you guys, any of you guys out there want to join in on this thing, you have like, like a week to get that shit done. Anyway, with, The last day by which Alameda is to respond to Grayscale's motion to dismiss is scheduled for September the 15th. The above is an overview of the case, but there are multiple related entities and nearly as many active lawsuits against the web of companies that operate and facilitate the trust, as well as one current case against the Securities and Exchange Commission brought by Grayscale itself. 
<coughs> to fully understand the complexities, it's helpful to step back and examine the structure and formation of GBTC as well as the events leading up to the lawsuits. How does GBTC work? Grayscale runs multiple cryptocurrency trusts, with the most well-known examples being GBTC. These trusts operate similarly to each other, with Grayscale as the sponsor that manages the trust, including management fees, and how they themselves can be replaced with a different sponsor. Shares of the respective trusts are issued by an authorized participant. In this case, the authorized participant of these trusts was for many years Genesis, an affiliate of Grayscale. Both companies are subsidiaries of the same parent group, Digital Currency Group. In order for shares to be issued, interested parties had to deposit Bitcoin with Genesis, which then placed the assets into the trust and created shares that were locked up for a period of six months. After this six-month period, the shares were considered seasoned and were able to be transferred to another party or sold in the secondary market. These are currently one-directional trusts, meaning that the Bitcoin or Ether, only goes into the trust and cannot currently be redeemed by surrendering shares. While Grayscale has claimed that they are not legally allowed to redeem shares, the legal complaint says that the firm has contradicted this by admitting that Regulation M, under federal securities law, does in fact provide approval for allowing redemption so long as there is no ongoing share creation. As the market grew, GBTC's holdings peaked at roughly 650,000 Bitcoin, the largest known single holding of Bitcoin in the world. The market value of that Bitcoin is worth over $17 billion at the time of writing. Regardless of whether the shares are trading at a premium or at a discount, Grayscale receives 2% of the total Bitcoin holdings on an annual basis as management fees. This equates to roughly 13,000 Bitcoin or nearly $350 million in revenue from fees per year, making Grayscale extremely lucrative. These fees do not factor in the company's other cryptocurrency trusts. Currently, there are approximately 624,366 Bitcoin remaining in that trust. In the past, the price of GBTC loosely followed the Bitcoin price, but due to the six-month lockup period, the share price became uncorrelated to the underlying Bitcoin sitting within the trust. There were times when the trust traded at a premium of nearly 50%. That means that the value of one share was being traded much higher than the equivalent Bitcoin held in the trust. This was positive for shareholders who could sell their shares at a price higher than the value of the underlying asset. However, in February of 2021, shares no longer traded at a premium and instead traded at a discount below the net asset value or NAV. At their lowest point, shares were trading at nearly 50% discount and continue to trade at a discount to this day, costing shareholders billions of dollars in lost share price value. Why, 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 why would someone invest in GBTC? Well, Bitcoin is not often traded in traditional brokerage accounts. So investors who primarily trade through institutional exchanges, such as Charles Schwab or TD Ameritrade, would not be able to use their investment portfolio to purchase Bitcoin. This includes those with 401k 
or individual retirement accounts. Since there is not currently a spot Bitcoin ETF for investors to get exposure to Bitcoin, and especially during the times when GBTC was trading at a premium, buying shares in Grayscale's trust was touted as a wise investment. (laughs) If they wanted to invest directly in Bitcoin, the only alternative option for investors with retirement accounts would be to liquidate their accounts and pay an early withdrawal penalty before being able to buy Bitcoin on an exchange with the no longer tax-advantaged funds. From its inception, Grayscale has always stated its intention to convert the trust into an ETF and is in active litigation against the SEC about this matter. An ETF product in the U.S. has to get approval from the SEC, whereas the company's current trust structure does not require the same level of regulatory approval. Grayscale created this trust to allow people to buy Bitcoin who otherwise wouldn't be able to. And it was considered a very innovative model at the time of its formation back in 2013. That's right. It's Grayscale 2013, guys. That's a long time. Grayscale was able to charge a relatively high annual fee of 2% for GBTC because this trust was a unique investment vehicle. Investors who were unable to gain Bitcoin exposure in any other way were willing to pay this fee, especially if their shares could be traded at a premium to NAV. In recent years, these fees have become higher than competitive rates as the lawsuit details. Cryptocurrency contagion. Yeah, yeah, no shit, dude. A relevant part of this story is that Grayscale's original authorized participant, Genesis, was lending millions of dollars to hedge funds like, you know, Three Arrows Capital, allegedly on the condition that they parked the money in the Grayscale Trust. In June of 2023, after GBTC started trading at a discount, Three Arrows Capital blew up, sparking a wave of contagion events that bankrupted multiple cryptocurrency companies such as Babel Finance, Voyager, BlockFi, and FTX. When Genesis filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in January of 2023, it owed creditors over $3.5 billion. The graphic below demonstrates the convoluted chain of leverage amongst various cryptocurrency hedge funds, which allowed them to capitalize on the GBTC premium trade, thus creating an outsized Genesis lending book and ultimately leading to the crypto contagion in 2022. And this chart that they're talking about? is a mess. I it's it's almost impossible to decipher what's going on, but there's SEC, Digital Currency Group, Three Arrows Capital, Genesis Trading, Grayscale Investment, various hedge funds, Gemini Exchange Earn Program, Genesis Lending, Alameda Research, Sam Bankman Fried, Democratic Party Center for Effective Altruism in Real Estate, there's BlockFi, there's FTX Group, there's Luna it, and there, there's just all these arrows pointed at each other. It's almost like it's almost like the Spider-Man meme where there's like 12 different Spider-Men and they're all pointing at each other. It's sick. This is just how anybody can keep shit like this straight is beyond me. You'd have to have a PhD in accounting to be able to understand what the hell's going on here. Anyway, in addition to Alameda, <clears throat> there's a group of GBTC shareholders organizing in order to take action against Grayscale with the hopes of clawing back hundreds of millions of dollars in fees, renegotiating the fee structure moving forward, and being granted the ability to redeem the customer Bitcoin held in that trust. 
This lawsuit is a derivative action, meaning that it affects all shareholders and not just the shareholders filing the lawsuit. To even be able to file a derivative action against the trust, multiple unaffiliated shareholders who jointly own at least 10% of shares outstanding need to join together as co-plaintiffs to bring the lawsuit according to trust documents and Grayscale's related arguments. The shareholders accuse Grayscale of mismanagement and conflicts of interest. The conflicts of interest relate to all critical parties associated with the trust being subsidiaries of DCG. Grayscale is the sponsor, Genesis is the authorized participant, and Coindesk as the index provider for the Bitcoin price. Other firms have offered to take over operation of the trust at a lower management fee that is more in line with industry standards, including Valkyrie Investments, who published a letter offering to manage the trust with an annual fee of 0.75%. In his end-of-year letter to investors, Grayscale Investment C- Investments CEO Michael Schonenschein stated, quote, We remain steadfast in our belief that the conversion of GBTC to an ETF is in the best interest of investors, and we remain 100% committed to that endeavor, end quote. While he shared plans for a potential 20% tender offer, should that not be possible, the company, quote, would instead continue to operate GBTC without an ongoing redemption program until we are successful in converting it to a spot Bitcoin ETF, end quote. This is in line with the company's claims that they are unable to allow redemptions without express permission by the SEC and are only focused on their lawsuit against the SEC to allow the conversion of a trust into an ETF. Man, I got to pause here to say something about that. That if 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 what I just read you is 100 percent true about them saying, you know, we're not going to redeem until we get this thing converted to a spot ETF. Then it makes me think that they don't care about a Bitcoin spot ETF at all. Other than the fact that it allows them a huge smokescreen. And given the way that they've acted over the past couple of years over at Grayscale, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if all this is is simply so that they don't have to redeem any of their shares. And they can wait this thing out and wait it out and wait it out and use the SEC and their their lawsuit against the SEC to convert the trust into a spot Bitcoin ETF. It's just cover. That's all this is. It that it's And that's all it's ever been, if what I just read you is true. So... I wouldn't be a I wouldn't be a raw raw in grayscale in their quote unquote fight for a spot Bitcoin ETF because I don't think that they're fighting for it. I think that they're fighting under cover of it. Anyway, continuing on, with shares trading at such a large discount and redemptions not being allowed, shareholders are trapped unless they sell their shares at a considerable loss. Notable Bitcoin critic, Congressional Representative Brad Sherman, wrote a letter to the SEC chair, Gary Gensler, seeking clarification from the agency as to whether Grayscale is actually prevented from allowing redemptions. He also questions the company's lack of an independent director on its board and its comparatively high fees, among other regulatory concerns. The Alameda bankruptcy estate is leading a derivative action against Grayscale, claiming the sponsor has collected $1.3 billion in management fees in violation of its trust agreement. In a motion filed in a Delaware Chancery Court, Alameda said that it has assembled over 45 parties, 
including dozens of individuals, numerous funds, and family offices who indicated that they were willing to participate as additional plaintiffs. The motion details how the plaintiffs believed they reached the 10% threshold of shares. That is until a large shareholder who was expected to be a plaintiff dropped out without explanation, leaving Alameda below the necessary share count. The court granted the plaintiffs until September the 15th to gather the remaining support from shareholders. The plaintiffs are putting out a call to any and all GBTC shareholders who are interested in joining the Grayscale lawsuit. Their website has more information and an intake process where shareholders can sign up before September the 1st to participate in the legal case against Grayscale. And that uh, website, the website for more information is grayscale litigation all one word dot com grayscale litigation dot com that's grayscale litigation dot com if you want to join in to the party now i you know i just i can't get that out of my head that all this time grayscale has simply been using its quote unquote fight for a spot bitcoin etf as a reason not to have to redeem the shares in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And if it is true that that is in fact what they're doing, then you have never met a more disingenuous crew of scum and villainy. It's like going to the Moss Eisley spaceport for those of you that have actually seen the original Star Wars movies. It's just scum and villainy all the way around. And we have it in the private sector, but we also have it at the federal level. Why do I say that? Well, tornado cash. Shit just dropped with tornado cash late yesterday. Tornado cash developers have been charged with money laundering and sanctions violations by the United States government. This is from nobsbitcoin.com. Tornado Cash developers Roman Storm and Roman Semenov have been charged with money laundering and sanctions violations tied to their work with the privacy mixer. The DOJ has already physically arrested Roman Storm. Quote, the charges of the indictment arise from the defendant's alleged creation, operation, and promotion of Tornado Cash a cryptocurrency mixer that facilitated more than $1 billion in money laundering transactions and laundered hundreds of millions of dollars from the Lazarus Group, the sanctioned North Korean cybercrime organization, the DOJ stated. In a statement, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said Tornado Cash and its operators knowingly facilitated money laundering. Quote, while publicly claiming to offer a technically sophisticated privacy service, Storm and Semenov, in fact, knew that they were helping hackers and fraudsters conceal the fruits of their crime. Today's indictment is a reminder that money laundering through cryptocurrency transactions violates the law, and those who engage in such laundering will face prosecution, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams said. According to the indictment, Storm and Semenov designed Tornado Cash with various privacy features despite knowing that their service would be used for illicit purposes. Okay, I, I got to pause there. Are they going to indict everybody at AT&T because somebody used AT&T's uh, physical infrastructure to make a phone call to set up a bank robbery, a kidnapping, 
possibly, you know, collude with each other to assassinate somebody? Because that's what this amounts to. But they're not going to go after them. Any infrastructure that is built that could be used to coordinate a crime would fall under this. Except everybody at AT&T and any other you know large infrastructure company knows that they're not going to see the inside of a courtroom one, much less jail, because this is 100% directed at cryptocurrency because it is a money that they cannot control. Of course, I only like Bitcoin, but I'll go ahead and concede and say, and just say the word cryptocurrency in general. Ah, this is just terrible. It's just terrible. Quote, moreover, the DOJ alleged they maintained control over Tornado Cash, which they could have used to implement transaction monitoring or other anti-money laundering features, despite publicly saying that they could not actually control it. The indictment also makes frequent reference to Alexei Pertsev, another co-founder who was arrested last year in the Netherlands, where he currently awaits trial on money laundering allegations. Quote, the DOJ further alleges that the defendants knew that their service was being used to launder funds from hacks and other thefts, seemingly to reference the KuCoin and BitMart hacks from 2020 and 2021, respectively. A later section walked through the Axie Infinity Ronin Bridge hack CoinDesk wrote, <clears throat> quote, employees representing the exchange had reached out to the developers, but they declined to offer any assistance, the filing said. Wednesday's arrest comes barely a week after a federal judge ruled that crypto investors and developer rights had not been infringed by OFAC, O-F-A-C, sanctioning Tornado Cash. Quote, the DAO, D-A-O, in its entirety unto itself that, through its voting members, has demonstrated an agreement to a common purpose. As the government notes, the structure is not unlike that of stockholders of a corporation who may not intend to vote in a shareholder meeting without this affecting the structure of the entirety, the judge wrote. So they're basically just throwing all these guys under the bus. At this point, it's anybody that is connected with the Dow is going is literally under the crosshairs. So I kind of expect more indictments to come as they continue to pull back the part, you know, the pieces of this particular onion, but it's not good. I mean, it's like, this is just overreach in a, in a very, very big way. In fact, I'm not the only one saying that this is also out of no BS Bitcoin, new tornado cash indictments run counter to FinSED guidance, according to coin center. Quote, the factual allegations of unlicensed money transmission are in direct conflict with FinCEN's longstanding guidance that an anonymizing software provider is not a money transmitter. This is according to Coin Center's Peter Van, Van Valkenburg. Quote, the only thing the indictment claims regarding the defendant's unlicensed money laundry or money transmission is that they quote engaged in the business of transferring funds on behalf of the public and did so without registering with FinCEN. An anonymizing software provider is not a money transmitter. FinCEN regulations exempt from the definition of money transmitter those persons providing only the delivery 
communication and network access services used by a money transmitter to support money transmission services. This is because suppliers of tools like communications, hardware, and software that may be utilized in money transmission like anonymizing software are engaged in trade, not money transmission. The indictment provides various factual allegations. Hold on for a second. Something shiny happened. All right. The indictment provides various factual allegations describing the activities the defendants performed. But all of those facts point to the defendants fitting squarely within FinCEN's guidance on anonymizing software providers rather than being rather than them being money transmitters. As for controlling the smart contracts before May of 2020, the analysis may be more complicated. We'll be closely monitoring developments in this case and we'll have more to say as further facts emerge. So Coin Center is on is on the case. How effective they're going to be, I, I don't know, man. You're going up against the DOJ who represents a series of very well-placed people who have everything to lose if they lose control of the money. I just expect this to be, I expect the outcome of, of these guys from Tornado Cash to be very unpleasant. And, you know, even even though it's an Ethereum thing, I don't think they should be going to jail and losing their freedom and their pro- and or their property because they were writing software. It's protected free speech, but it is what it is. Now let's run the numbers. Yeah, buddy, CNBC.com with our futures and commodities prices. Energy, energy futures was dipping down pretty pretty ominously this morning, but has since recovered. Oil, West Texas Intermediate, is up almost a half a point, back up to 79.22. If you'll remember, like the day before yesterday, it was like 82-something. So, yeah, there was a precipitous dip. Brent North Sea saw the same dip. It's a third of a point up this morning, uh, $83.49. Natural gas is up two and a quarter percent to $2.55. Gasoline has fallen scant, you know, 0.03%, $2.76. Shiny metal rocks having a bad day. Gold is down scant, so it's still at 1947 and 90 cents, but silver a little worse, two thirds of a point to the downside, 2424. Platinum is the only thing in the green. It's up two-thirds of a point. Copper is down almost a full point. Palladium is down, ooh, 2.67%. Uh, I got lumber up 0.66%. And the biggest winner in the rest of the ag field today is going to be sugar. Your pancreas's friend, 1.89% to the upside. Biggest loser today is wheat, almost a full point to the downside. Live cattle is up a third. Lean hogs. to the upside. And feeder cattle, two-thirds of a point to the upside. But the Dow and all the people in suits and ties having a bad day as well. Half a point down to the, or half a point down, S&P is almost uh, two-thirds of a point down. NASDAQ is 1.25% to the downside. And S&P mini is down one, no, I'm I'm sorry about that, one-third of a point uh, I've got news about NVIDIA in a separate story, but apparently uh, their earnings uh, did not 
make well the their earnings were awesome and we'll get into that but apparently it it didn't give the rest of wall street a warm and fuzzy feeling and bitcoin is well we had hit like 26,700 sometime late last night and we're all the way back down to $26,027 so we had a good old bart if you don't know what a bart pattern is ask your friends on noster we have oh god average transaction value of 0.83 Bitcoin median transaction value is 0.0012 Bitcoin or otherwise known as $31. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 35 seconds. You got 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and damn near 20 BTC taken in fees overall in the past 24 hours with a what? A 1.67% rise in hash rate. We're back up to 403.9 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator, as always, is Doge. And I got a story about that thing coming up here pretty good. Uh, 6.3 United States pennies. All right, let's see. $507 billion of market capitalization is 3.94% of gold's entire market cap. And with your one Bitcoin, you can purchase 13.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks. Speaking of your Bitcoin, there are 19,466,336.82 Bitcoin in circulation at the time. And 4,670.6 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $121.7 million. That's being run over 16,215 nodes that we can see sporting 67,926 payment channels that we know about and 73.1% of all that's being run over Tor. Uh, We had a spike in transaction numbers. We are now chilling out at just over 140 blocks carrying 383,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with transaction fees of 11 Satoshis per V-byte for high priority and 10 Satoshis for low priority. Anything under 5.45 Satoshis per V-byte is being purged from mempools around the world, and mempool.space mining is showing hash rate at 394.6 exahashes per second, so that's pretty close. I am still at number four in Fountain App Charts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to people like Golf Winch with 6,777 Satoshis, says, this dude is a fucking legend. He keeps it real and gives you other pertinent information about life. Thank you for your service to our community of Bitcoiners and to those who have a desire to learn. No, man, dude, you're, you're, I appreciate that. Thank you, man. Dubrovko with a thousand says, great episode. Thanks for mentioning again. Thank you. Previously, I have had three fellow listeners message me with interest, and he's talking about buying his Black Soldier Fly Larvae, and all are saying that that they just aren't ready yet. The price for a pint of medium and larger BFS larvae is 140 Satoshis, including shipping. The caveat is that you will want to check this map and make sure that you are within a two-day shipping from North Central Texas. And I will uh, try to include that. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and pull that off right now and throw it in the show notes so that it will be there. Let me uh, get that up here into the circle P. There we go. Okay. Um, Yeah, so if you're going to order Black Soldier Fly Larvae from Dubrovko, you you need to be within two-day shipping. Otherwise, you could end up with a bunch of, well, 
dead larvae. Dubrovko continues and says, as the warehouses and truck trailers are nearly ovens, yeah, they, they get hot. These guys are way more heat tolerant than red wigglers, but no reason to push it too far. In addition to still shopping later in the year, I'll be instructing y'all on how to overwinter a batch to hit the ground running. Yeah, that's going to be some good information, so keep your ears open for Dubrovko on that one. Wartime Psycho with 779 says, cheers. Pies with 500 says, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. It certainly is. MCOT with 413 says, great info. Thank you, sir. God's Death with 370 says, great info. Loved his shit. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Jim Leahy with 300 says, there's plenty of news to cover. What about talking about the difficulty adjustment? I... The difficulty adjustment just happens whether I report, it on, report on it or not. If you have something specific that you want me to cover about implications of difficulty adjustments under certain scenarios, if you give those to me, I'll see if I can you know, tease out a couple of more brain cells to fire in, in sync with each other and see what I can do for you. Dubrovko comes back with 100 says, all right, the article I posted on episode 776 was an attempt to get clicks due to there being a TMNT movie out, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, attempting to be a resource to quench a thirst for curiosity of the character April. The funny part is, one of those Aprils shown are not canon. Since I occasionally spend too much time on YouTube, I already knew that. For those curious about where she came from, David will now read the title over the air. Okay, well, God dang it, Dubrovko, all you've got here is the YouTube thing. So let me, let me see what the title is. Put the YouTube link into you. See if I can get the title out. Double toasted.com is the way. Oh no. 10 inch mutant ninja turtle theme song. Okay. I don't know what that means to Bravco, but I'll go with it. He also says also the use of the descriptor titular was incorrect and just drawing you to the picture of the non-canon April. <laughs> Pie says, with 100 sats, thank you, sir. Wartime Psycho responds, no, thank you. Sats McDuck responds to him, says, no, thank you. And I say, no, thank you. That's going to do it for the weather report. Okay, we're going to uh, end up with a song here from Wave Lake. This one is from, oh God, who is it from? <laughs> ah, I put it up here. It's, it should be right here. Come on. Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Oh, so, uh, the name of the song is Modern Marie from Signs and Signals.
welcome to part two of the news that you can use. The SEC versus Ripple. Attorneys leave SEC side, but both groups add new lawyers. Cointelegraph Savannah Fortas tells us about this uh, legal shakeup going on in this particular case. Multiple attorneys have moved in and out of the lawsuit between Ripple Labs, its executives, and the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, as signified by court filings on August the 23rd. That was yesterday. The motion filed were requesting permissions to withdraw attorneys Richard Best and Robert McDonald Moy from the trial, with the former having the motion immediately granted due to extended medical leave. Moy's withdrawal is still pending a decision from Judge Annalisa Torres, our favorite person in the world. Earlier the same day, a motion was filed for attorney Pascal Gure, I guess is how you pronounce it, to be dismissed from the case. This request was also promptly granted by the judge. In a game of legal musical chairs, also on August the 23rd, Judge Torres approved attorney Michael Schulman for Brad Garlinghouse, CEO of Ripple, along with attorneys Mark Jones and Peter Brian Moores to represent the SEC. In response to the changes, the crypto community has taken its opinion to social media. Of course, we have to go to Twitter. Some users remarked that the attorneys leaving the side of the SEC don't want their name to be tied to the wrong side of history. Another commented on the timing, saying, uh, Mr. Guerre is no longer participating in this matter. The SEC continues to be represented by the other Council for record in this matter and XRP crypto wolf comes back and responds to that and says SEC has lawyers quitting before the ship sinks completely. I honestly don't think that that's what's going on, but whatever. However, some don't find the situation pressing. Prominent crypto lawyer John E. Deaton responded that these changes really mean nothing in the grand scheme of the case. Uh, John E. Deaton, in fact, he says, quote, this means nothing. Guyer could be reassigned or could be leaving the SEC. She started working more on the Ripple case after Tenero got a promotion and attorney Bliss left the, C- the SEC to go work for BlockFi. And then he kind of goes on and says, this may just be a change of personnel. Deaton also recently commented on the effects of the ongoing legal activities between the SEC and Ripple, saying that their lawsuit has cost XRP three years of adoption. You mean protecting people from three years of losing their money? Because Ripple's a scam. And if you don't believe me, then, well, you probably don't need to be listening to the rest of the show. Uh, he, he argued that there have been multiple instances of big entities in the crypto space, such as Coinbase, contacting the SEC for regulatory clarification prior to listing XRP, but didn't face any objections. And they go on. But the, the, the whole point that I'm getting at here is that there is a shakeup in the legal teams on both Ripple side and the SEC side. It's not like this hasn't happened before with other cases, especially especially cases that drag out for years. Some people are like, I'm, I'm done, dude. I want to go do something else. The case itself is not brought by the lawyers representing the case. It's brought by the SEC. The SEC then assigns personnel to execute the case. If they want to change the personnel on the case or the personnel in the case, I don't know, want to leave of absence or they get sick or I don't know, get in a car accident. The SEC is still going to execute the case. It doesn't really matter, in my opinion, who the hell the lawyers are. So this whole notion that, that the SEC is changing, is trying to get out before the ship sinks is ludicrous.
they'd have to actually want to dis- have the case dismissed altogether by Judge Torres. That would be the ship sinking, not because they're changing lawyers. So prepare for FUD. That's why I'm bringing you this entire story. Prepare for FUD. All right, back to Bitcoin. Bitcoin ATM company Byte Federal officially launches in down under. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Australia. Bitcoin Magazine and Nick Hoffman. Bitcoin ATM network company Byte Federal Australia has officially launched in Australia. Quote, the launch of Byte Federal marks an exciting milestone in our mission to democratize access to the digital asset ecosystem, said Alex Tripkowski, managing director of Byte Federal Australia. We are dedicated to providing our customers with a seamless, secure, and user-friendly experience as they navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies. Yay! Put a tie on the suit speak. Entering into the Australian market, Byte Federal states it is steadfast in upholding the highest standards of compliance and regulatory practices, yada, yada, yada. The company's ecosystem includes a range of proprietary products and services, such as their smart kiosk network, a digital wallet, merchant terminals, and more. Byte Federal Australia says that they're building the institution of the future designed to offer a personalized and customer-centric approach to the digital asset economy. Byte Federal said it places an emphasis on fostering a work environment that encourages creativity, innovation, and collaboration. Tripkowski further emphasized the role of the team in Byte Federal's success, stating, quote, our team is at the heart of our success, we believe in cultivating a culture of visionaries. <laughs> Jesus Christ, the hyperbole. Where everyone's unique perspective and expertise contribute to Byte Federal Australia's continuous growth and success. So all that really matters here is that you've got a fairly, from what, I, what I'm looking at, it looks like a whole bunch of ATMs have opened up through Tasmania, New South Wales, basically the eastern seaboard of of Australia, but it's not just a small handful. It's there's quite a few of them on here. I don't know how many and I wish that they had put that on there, but what's also interesting is the fact that they have what, what was this uh where was institution of trust. Oh, here it is. The smart kiosk network, their own wallet and merchant terminals. Now, I'm wondering about the merchant terminals. Is it possible that they're integrating a point of sale for merchants with a network of Bitcoin ATMs? That I don't know. I wish they would have clarified, but that, you know, that that actually may that may do something. You never know. You never know. Okay, stupidity abounds. We're into the stupid. We're so far into the stupid, I need everybody to put on their stupid scuba gear because we're going deep. Dogecoin millionaire's fortune fell from $3 million to 50000 but he hasn't lost faith. Matt DeSilvo, decrypt. Glauber Contestoto went all in on Dogecoin after Elon Musk started pumping the cryptocurrency on Twitter back in 2020. After using all of his savings and a credit card to Plug $250,000 of U.S. dollars into the cryptocurrency. His holding shot up to $3 million at one point, but Diamond Hands Consetto, or however you pronounce it, 35, refused to cash out. Now, with Dogecoin down by over 90% from its May 2021 all-time high of $0.73, cents, 
the Las Vegas resident has watched the value of his holdings drop to as low as $50,000. Oh, poor guy. Concesto, or however you pronounce it, who calls himself Slum Doge Millionaire and runs the Dogecoin Millionaire YouTube channel, even admitted his dismay yesterday on Twitter, but he says he still has faith. Quote, Doge will definitely become the money of Twitter, Contesto told Decrypt. I truly believe it. Maybe the Las Vegas resident has a point. Doge was created as a joke, but Twitter's eccentric new owner has long talked, sometimes seriously, about how the original meme coin will become the cryptocurrency choice for payments. And Musk may be working on integrating it with Twitter after news dropped earlier this year that the social media platform was working on a product in a way that was supportive of crypto payments. Quote, it would make sense that it will be a payment method on X, he said, using Musk's new name for the platform. For now, though, the asset, ninth largest cryptocurrency with a market cap of $9 billion, is largely speculative. Its price has historically shot up and down largely on what Musk says, and people often get involved with the hopes of getting rich quick. Despite watching his investment plunge, Contesso is one of those people, quote, Doge will go, Doge will go to $1 on the next bull run. I'm sure of it. Crypto markets are cyclical, he added. I went into understanding this concept. I just miscalculated how low we would actually go. (laughs) I've heard all of this before. Next time, he said he would sell, but not necessarily all of it. Quote, we, the Doge community, were always rallying for a dollar, he added. I want to introduce more healthy habits in crypto, and taking profits is one of them, without getting shamed. End quote. Everything about this is sad. From the top of the article to the bottom of the article, all of his savings. And God only knows how how much of a part that was along with the credit card that he used to plug a quarter million dollars into Dogecoin because an eccentric billionaire said so. The other sad part is not the fact that it plunged from 3 million to, you know, 50,000 and he's basically so far underwater he may never recover. But here herein lies the issue with Elon Musk, Doge and Twitter, which I'm never going to call it by its new name unless I actually have to read it in an article. Do you think that Elon is going to use a cryptocurrency that is not only outside the purview of his control at the infrastructure level, but that can so easily be manipulated by his own speaking. If I would like, think of it this way. If you had such a profound effect on the rise and fall of a shit coins market cap, just by getting on Saturday Night Live and saying something or tweeting something or getting on like CNBC and saying something over there and you saw the swings that you have as a single individual on that thing, would you feel comfortable having that be the undergirding cryptocurrency for your crappy platform? Probably not especially if you don't have total control over the underlying infrastructure for Dogecoin. 
what do I think is going to happen? He's going to build his own. He's going to build his own shitty cryptocurrency, or he's going to partner with something like PayPal and use their Pi coin or whatever the hell their stable coin is called. He's not going to use Doge. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I'll I'll eat crow on that. But it, I mean, and yes, he's made some really bad decisions. That is clear. And I know I can hear you out there saying, "Well, it's not like he's not going to make another bad decision." Yeah, I get that. But if he's going to make a bad decision, it's going to be on something that he fully, one hundred percent controls from top to bottom. He's not, not, not going to integrate Doge as the fundamental payment system. He might use it as a, I don't know, a circus toy or something like that. Something like, you know, a a tipping mechanism or something else, but it's not going to be the payment structure for his new platform, which was formerly known as Twitter. This guy, I'm just, I feel really bad for him because he's like, he's $250,000 in debt, essentially. And he used all of his savings. And God only knows how much of that credit card he's paying interest on. At, and we don't even know at what rate. And in this picture here, he's smiling, but I don't think he's going to be smiling for very much longer. I don't know, man. Don't do it. Please don't do that. Uh, Binance is halting its crypto debit card in Latin America, as well as the Middle East. Prussian Jaw has this one from Cointelegraph. Cryptocurrency exchange Binance will suspend its crypto debit card services in Latin America and the Middle East starting tomorrow, August the 25th. The crypto debit card worked like other debit cards, allowing users to pay for day-to-day goods and services. The only difference is that these cards were funded by cryptocurrency assets. The crypto debit card services in Latin America and the Middle East will be terminated by September the 21st, but the exchange claimed refunds and disputes can still be processed until December 20th of 2023. The issue first came to light when a formerly Twitter user... (laughs) inquired about issues with crypto debit cards in Colombia. Binance responded to the query with an announcement suggesting that the debit card services will be suspended starting August the 24th without clarifying what led to the decision. Binance first announced its plan for crypto back debit cards back in April of 2020 as it aimed to enter the global payment market. By July of 2020, the crypto debit cards were being shipped to European countries and several others worldwide. The crypto exchange later partnered with payment processor Swipe with intentions to offer crypto debit cards in the United States. All right, so nobody's been able to figure out exactly what the hell's going on with Binance, but I'm pausing, uh, I'm ending the article short here to say that this is an odd way to make an announcement of such import for all of the Middle East and all of Latin America. And they're swearing that this only affects like 1% of their users. But still, you got this guy, Le Garmin Imegre, or however you pronounce that name, and he is literally replying to a Binance tweet. And he says this in his, in his, in his reply, he says, hey, Binance Columbia, Could you further explain what happened with the Binance card? What were the hurdles? Could we expect another card soon? And here's the announcement from Binance as a reply to a single dude asking a question 
from one of their posts and says, hello there. The Binance card will no longer be available to users in Latin America and the Middle East. The product, like most debit cards, has been utilized by Binance's users to pay for basic daily expenses. But in this case, the cards are funded with crypto assets. That's their, their, this is a relatively big announcement, even if it only does affect 1% of their customers. They went through a lot of crap to get this card out, and their announcement that they're canceling it for Middle East and Latin America is a reply to a dude. It's not very professional. That just makes me, just gets me a little worried about, about that whole business. Uh, let me see. I don't want that one. Um, NVIDIA. We'll end it with NVIDIA's earnings because, man, dude, did they crush it. NVIDIA rides artificial intelligence boom to record-setting revenue. This is by Decrypt AI, edited by Ryan Ozwa. So they had AI write the article. Let's see how this works. Again, this is out of Decrypt. NVIDIA revenue set new records in its latest quarter. Funded by surging demand for its graphics processing units, largely to power artificial intelligence and generative AI models. The Silicon Valley tech firm reported total revenues of $13.51 billion in its fiscal second quarter ending July 30th, representing a 101% increase versus the same period last year. Revenue jumped 88% over the previous quarter. Quote, A new computing era has begun, NVIDIA founder and CEO Jensen Huang said in a statement, quote, companies worldwide are transitioning from general purpose to accelerated computing and generative AI, end quote. Huang called out the architecture surrounding its GPUs, including networking and switch technologies and its CUDA AI software stack, saying that together, the components make up the computing infrastructure of generative AI. A key driver was NVIDIA's data center segment, which manufactures GPUs for high-performance computing and cloud applications. This division produced record revenues of $10.32 billion, up 171% annually and 141% over the prior quarter. Quote, strong demand for the NVIDIA HGX platform based on our Hopper and Amper GPU architectures was primarily driven by the development of large language models and generative AI, said Colette Cress, chief financial officer of NVIDIA. Major cloud providers like Google, Amazon Web Services, and Microsoft Azure are adopting NVIDIA's new H100 GPUs to accelerate generative AI models, said Cress. These models include DAL-E2 for generating images from text prompts. The company also reported that enterprise IT vendors are also teaming up with NVIDIA to deliver its AI platform into more industries. For example, NVIDIA partnered with VMware to bring its AI infrastructure into enterprise clouds. Quote, during the quarter, major cloud service providers announced massive NVIDIA H100 AI infrastructures. Leading enterprise IT teams and software providers announced partnerships to bring NVIDIA AI to every industry. The race is on to adopt generative AI, said, well, said Huang. NVIDIA further bolstered its AI leadership by unveiling a series of new products and partnerships related to generative models. This included the launch of NVIDIA AI Workbench for easily creating and customizing generative AI models and the NVIDIA Avatar Cloud Engine to bring intelligence to video game characters using natural language AI. Additionally, NVIDIA teamed up with partners like ServiceNow, 
Accenture, Snowflake, and Hugging Face to accelerate enterprise adoption of generative AI. The surging demand for NVIDIA's GPUs also lifted the company's gaming revenue to new heights. Its GeForce RTX 40 series gaming GPUs leveraged the same core architecture powering data center AI. All told, NVIDIA's gaming business generated sales of $2.49 billion last quarter, up 22% annually. The gaming segment made up 18% of NVIDIA's total revenue. We specialize in markets where our computing platforms can provide tremendous acceleration for applications. Our platforms address four large markets where our expertise is critical. Data centers, gaming, professional visualization, and automotive. Oh, oh, for design. Well, they they should have just included architecture as, as well because it's all the same thing, kind of. They're talking about visualizing, you know, like, you know, the, the components in automotive stuff then and how they fit together in CAD stuff. But that also works for architecture as well. So they should have just included that. The company said that it is now a full stack computing company with data center scale offerings that are reshaping industries. NVIDIA also expects strong tailwinds ahead. The company forecasts revenue reaching approximately $16 billion next quarter, implying a 57% annual growth. So I don't know. I mean, I guess if you want to put some cash somewhere other than Bitcoin, I guess NVIDIA is the way to go. I don't know. This whole thing is kind of strange. This this landscape that we find ourselves in, we've got having coming up for Bitcoin. We've got a bunch of VC guys that basically lost all their banking. You know, you got a bunch of VC banks that went down with the cryptocurrency thing. You still got a shit ton of money floating around in the same circles. And now all of a sudden, everybody's flipping their lid over AI. So this, I think this Bitcoin finds itself in a very different situation than it has in all of the first halvings that the, all the, the having epochs that we've already had. It doesn't mean that I'm calling bearish, but I'm neither am I calling bullish. I'm just saying that it's different. And we should probably pull apart the differences, not only for each other, but for ourselves so that we at least have a chance to figure out what the hell do we do? And, and no, I'm not really suggesting that, you know, that, that you pile fiat money into NVIDIA, but AI is not going away. It, and unless somebody builds a chipset that's not GPU, this is what I'm thinking. Remember how Bitcoin mining went from CPU and then just a couple of years later, that dude, uh, the guy that bought the pizzas, basically constructed Bitcoin mining to operate off of GPU architecture. Well, it didn't take long after that for it to go to ASICs. So if the same thing happens here and that somebody designs a chipset for generative AI, but is not a GPU, then NVIDIA could find themselves in a shit ton of trouble on their revenue projections later on. And whoever has that chip architecture, like the general, let's call them AI ASICs, they're going to make a mint. Like it's going to, it's going to be like the whole Bitcoin mining ASIC industry starting up all over again. And so just keep, you might want to keep that in mind. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes for your Thursday. 
my wife asked me why I wanted to be cremated. I told her it's because it's my last hope for a smoking hot body. Smoking hot. Okay. Uh, be careful out there. You're going to get the FUD from the SEC Ripple thing and the uh, attorneys changing. You got some weird shit going on with the uh, the landscape that we're in with Bitcoin versus AI versus all the rest of this clown world that's going on. There's all kinds of stuff going on. You got people that are still, to this day, throwing all of their savings, mortgaging their house, running up their credit cards to pile into a shit coin like Doge. We've been warning them for years. There's been at least three full-blown instances of weeks-long time periods where the suicide hotline telephone number has been posted to Reddit because people were doing the exact same shit and then lost their ass. And it's like nobody learns. And like I said in a note, all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. I'll see you on the other side.
traveling with us Stacked up everything in a bus Space for your clothes And up while enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.